This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too. So they're ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Has a chance to write his name in Huddersfield Town legend. And he takes that chance! Welcome to episode two of the Andy Takes That Chance podcast. Like Mark Robbins, four long years ago, our sound technician has lasted just one episode before being found head in hands within the confines of the laundry room. A safe pair of hands has arrived and we found our very own audio Chris Powell. With me tonight, we have Neil and Cossie and a new signing with the paperwork in on deadline day. It's Danny G of HTFC World Fame or Infamy if you're a Sheffield Wednesday fan. Good evening, gentlemen. Hi, Matt. Good evening. So... Episode two. In episode one, we were we were quite bullish about our chances versus Chelsea. It ended up Huddersfield Town nil, Chelsea three. Despite myself and one or two others thinking it was a good time to play Chelsea, it turned out not to be. However, just before we get into the the meat and the crux of of, of matters, uh, one one little thing I did on Saturday, just following on from the end of the previous. Uh, episode was I took my little boy through to Huddersfield for his very first game my first game was against Mansfield a long time ago Um, his first game luckily for him was against Chelsea on Saturday and one thing which was really great for me is I've always wanted to be able to take my own little boy to a football game and and that's one thing I've always wanted to be ever since I walked down the steps at the cow shed and it is really a a great moment and what made it really really great was the Huddersfield town fans around me because if somebody plonked a baby near me uh, who was you know four or five months old I'd, I'd probably be a little bit nervous and you would probably think oh if he cries what do I do it's going to be awkward but everyone in in the upper tier was absolutely amazing um, on the way to the ground he had a few fist bumps from people um, all sort of saying hello to him and there's even an old man at the uh, a really nice old guy at the bus stop you know sort of reminding him it's only 15 minutes to kick off lad you've got to hurry up otherwise you'll be late and and it, it's little when you go through little things like this it's it's really great to be part of uh, you know a football family and and Field is, is a really great football family and that got reaffirmed to me at the weekend again um, and obviously at the weekend it was 3-0 to Chelsea so we'll move on to the next point 
we in the first episode pretty much predicted what the lineup would be the system uh, one thing me and Cossie didn't predict and Neil you did was that Ben Hamer started over Jonas Losel. happy with his performance? Overall yes I think he's had a lot of unfair criticism across various social media platforms notably Twitter um, apart from a bit of ropey distribution here and there two or three times he's done okay and I don't think having Lossell in goal on Saturday changes the score I think we still lose three now No I think he, he did okay for me uh, I think you're obviously going to be nervous on your home debut and, and when you misplace a pass after a couple of minutes like you did for Terence Congolo which almost put Pedro in it's going to set the, the nerves jangling a little bit and Cossie I think you've found a couple of things as well haven't you? Yeah it's really interesting quotes from David Wagner which didn't quite get picked up on uh, but uh, Richard Sutcliffe did in the Yorkshire Post he put it wasn't a big decision to, to play Ben Hamer he says what happened last season does not count which is quite an interesting comment to think that everyone else who was in the team did play last season so it's kind of to me, having a little pop-up Lossel. It's all about the present, the past is history. Hamer played a very good pre-season. Jonas didn't come back in the best shape. He knows that. He also wasn't in the best form, which is a really interesting comment because he's not played any pre-season games. So what is he meaning in training or something else? This was not a surprise to me, but he's on the right way. So yeah, okay, maybe not a surprise Hamer was in, but for them reasons, they, they were really interesting comments from David Wagner. I've not kind of seen him really kind of spell it out for a key player like that since he's joined he doesn't usually criticise in public does he or, or make any sort of negative he's always very very positive and, and to be honest I hadn't seen those quotes until you brought them so it is a little bit surprising um, so in terms of the, the starting lineup, um, we all thought it'd be a back three slash five um, is that the right way to go Danny would you say I would have gone with that to be honest I know there's calls for more uh, attacking play but I'd gone 2-0 defeat beforehand and I think the, sort of, the scoreline at 3-0 was perhaps a bit flattering whereas last season we lost 3-1 and that was to be honest that was flattering towards us that could have been 5-6 against Chelsea last season I thought we offered a much more attacking threat this time around second half not so much but I think that penalty right on half time killed it for us I don't know about the substitution at half time whether that was an injury or not but that certainly didn't work for us bringing De Poitre on. Mm. So we'll, we'll wind that back a little bit. Um, the week leading up to the first game, there was the uh, much-loved look index was published. Would you say, Neil, that town got the rub of the green with the David Luiz incident where he's gone through the back of Pritchard and the ball's hit Luiz on top of the arm? Oh. I'm not sure if I was a referee to given a penalty, but... The incident itself, to give a free kick against Pritchard, was ridiculous, to be honest. It was a cracker's decision. If you're looking at him, as a, if, if that's going to go either way, that's a penalty. But a penalty probably a bit soft. And what you Certainly not a free kick to Chelsea. And what you were saying, Danny, beforehand, um, if that happens in the middle of the pitch, that's a free kick to us. It is. It's, that's an easy decision, but then again... I think it's a, a, it is a really soft penalty because when you look at the size difference between those two players, I, I don't know how they can compete fairly for, for a ball in the air, but he has, he has put his knee in his back and, and, and gone through him somewhat, but I wouldn't have given a penalty. That's, that's the interesting thing for me because he comes over the top. You know, David Luiz is more than entitled to go for that header. He goes over the top. The ball hits him on the arm. Pritchard is 
waiting for the ball to come down to trap. If that ball doesn't hit David Luiz's arm, it, it, Pritchard has it and it's trapped it. So there is a shout for handball. I, I grew up watching football in the 90s, so for me, it's it's not a penalty. But I can see after people watching the, the World Cup and some of the soft penalty decisions that there is a shout for a penalty there. Um, Neil, have you got more to add? Yeah, I think just a bit more on Pritchard. I think he did a decent first half. Linked the play quite well. Time were on top for little, little spells. Certainly not out of the game. I think the goals have come against a runner play and I found it an odd decision at half-time if Pritchard hadn't got a knock um, to sub him, to be honest, because I've never seen the De Poitre-Mounier partnership as a two work. No, this is something that we talked about earlier as well and they're both very, very similar strikers. They both want to play with a back-to-goal. They both want to attack the first ball. Neither wants to go for the second ball. And I can understand the idea. You put two big men on and you try and put balls into the box. Um, 23 crosses at the weekend, only a couple successful. Is that more of a problem with the quality coming into the box? Or again, is that a problem with the amount of men in the box, would you say, Cossie? I thought, yeah, frustrating again. I mean, there was a situation late on on uh, Saturday. Adjit and I, he must have got a weird set of play, really. It kept coming back for a throw in and back to Adjit and Must have had three or four attempts to get a, a decent ball in and it didn't happen. And that was a lot of failings from last year, to be honest with you. And, and let's be honest, guys, I think unless that kind of our game improves, then we're going to be in big trouble because our, you know, Departure and Mooney, they're going to thrive on service. But again, the final ball... Didn't get in much, but when we did it, you know, not good enough. I'd, I'd hope, like I say, but we might be in trouble, but I'd hope that would change when we're playing against the sort of less, lesser size in the top six and we've brought Sobby in, we've brought Diakabi in, we've brought Mbenza in. You'd hope as three out-and-out wingers that we are going to be a lot more of a threat and hopefully give the two lads up front who will preferably play one at a time a bit more... Uh, a bit more, yeah, more. I think one interesting thing is that we've noticed over the last couple of years we, we don't necessarily play with the out and out wingers what we tend to do is we play with more uh, inside you know sort of inverted or inside forwards if you like uh, who play in the little half spaces between the wide and the central areas and what they do is they almost act as a pivot for the fullback to get forward and it's the fullback who's putting the ball in um, and I don't think it matters whether we're playing a back three or a back four it's always going to be the same two who are going to put the put the uh, put the ball into the box, um, but there's perhaps a fullback that we've not seen yet, Neil, that you want to discuss. Eric, Derm, I think from seeing him, is a World Cup winner. Let's be fair, lad can play. Um, he's played for Dortmund. He's played in a World Cup. We've not seen him yet due to obviously getting properly fit. Looking at the clips that Town put on the HTTV sight of Eric Derm's career he, he's going to be a threat and I think once he does get himself match fit I don't think there's any doubt that he'll, he'll walk straight into the side be it right side or left side I was going to say would you play him on the right or the left because he looks like he's two foot to me I, either or I don't, I don't think he'd be weaker on either or I think and it would only strengthen town okay so we're all saying we're all pretty Emphatic out with that. We probably shouldn't have had a penalty. It was a good it was a good shout, but probably not a penalty. Um Danny, you said, you know, coming up to half time, we'd actually played really well. I, I thought we played really well. It was a good first half. Alan Shearer, match of the day, apparently not. Apparently we were okay for fifteen minutes and Chelsea dominated the rest, but match of the day narratives aside, um it, it felt a lot different to last season whereby we 
we looked like we got a lot of stick, didn't we, on BT Sport when we played Chelsea and it never looked like we were going to get anywhere near them. Whereas it was a little bit different on Saturday. Yeah, I think on Saturday we, we didn't have a load of chances, but likewise we restricted them. As I say, last season you just felt they were going to score every time they went forward at one point because, I mean, Hazard was, Hazard was controlling it last season and only appeared for the last 20 here, but they still had quality on the pitch. Pedro and Kante, players like that who've, who've won World Cup. So... It, it, I, I would be happy with the way we played and I wouldn't be discouraged by that, that people saying that we, we lined up defensively because I think we coped quite well until that second goal went in and well up until half time what I would say as well is that, that you know we've got a question time later but we, while we're talking about it we might as well answer the question now and that's last season we we David Wagner very much a 4-2-3-1 guy um, he'd learned over the course of the season to be tactically flexible there were certain issues with the 4-2-3-1 which we really struggled at and one of the main issues was getting caught on the break that was a real problem we were overloaded just behind Johnny Hogg and, and to be honest it was the only thing Alan Shearer probably got right on, on match of the day was that he did point out the, the space in between Jonathan Hogg and the back three and that's probably been a problem for a while um and also what we've usually found is we've gradually drawn back, drawn back, drawn back. The way at Anfield last season was one where we pretty much played the entire game in our own half. Um, <clears throat> but there's a, a quick switch to a back three. Um, initially, he went more of a 3-4-3, three, three, you know, with two wingers, you know, away at Arsenal, we had Colin Quanner on, on one side and Mounier up front by himself, which didn't work. And we did the same at West Ham as well, where Kachungas played right side, I forget who played left, and, and it didn't it didn't work, but over towards the end we seem to adapt and in my opinion this this back three system freed up Aaron Moy a, a little bit more you look at certain games last year like Swansea at home I know there's probably certain people don't want us to talk about Swansea at home but they doubled up on Aaron Moy let Jonathan Hogg have the ball and Hoggy to be fair he's, he's going to rat around and he's going to win you the ball but when he what he'll do is he'll give the ball to someone who can do something so he gave the ball out wide to Hadajanai and, and I think in that game we had countless crosses in and, and we became a little bit predictable. So for me, the, the back three system allowed us to break it, allowed us to be compact. Man City away and Chelsea away, really compact, but also what it allowed us to do, it allowed us to have that pivot in Pritchard who then we could give the ball to and break off of through you know through the wide men and Mounier up front can run the channel or Dupuach around the channel, you know, like he did against Chelsea and, and scored with his uh, nice uh, badge, if you like, on, on uh, Caballero. Neil? I, I think we've just got to get past the Manchester City game this weekend which is obviously going to be um, quite difficult is probably the nicest way to put it I think get past that one and then you've got Cardiff Everton another tough game but they're all games that you've got to be looking at with the new players in like Everton last season was a bit soft a 2-0 defeat but it was a it was a defeat all day long hmm. whereas this time I'd expect us to go there with the new players and to put a bit more of a, a show on, to be honest. I think what's quite, while we're still on the thing of tactics, I think what's quite interesting is we've signed raw pace in Isaac and Bems and we've got Adama Diakabi as well. Those guys are quick. Van La Parra's an underrated asset in terms of pace as well. So I think, whereas last year, playing the 4-2-3 when we struggled to get out, a lot of it was through central thrust you know but now with the pace of Diakabi and, and Benza, you know, that there is an argument and I do see um Ian Kilroy's you know comments on Twitter I do understand that you know with this raw pace now we do have more of a chance to reach out and actually use the space now to stretch the game which which will be interesting and I'm sure we'll see that as the as the season goes on but in terms of the game itself Philip Billings getting quite a lot of stick I thought Phil had a, a, re, a 
quite a good game. He's getting quite a lot of stick cossy on, on social media filled, you know, for that first goal, which which let's be honest, Kante's mishit that into the ground. It, you know, it's Yeah, they were ball watching for that first goal and no doubt about it. And luckily I had a bit of a stream at half time, kinda of looked at it and I think I can't remember who was it was it might have been uh, Zanka, but he kind of the both kind of went he moved forward for it and then yeah, he did miss it. But I, I were quite impressed with what Billing did. He made a couple of crunching tackles. He looked I just looked, I thought, wow, he seems to have stepped up from last year. Yeah, his distribution still frustrates me a little bit, but ah, again, I can't understand the bashing, to be honest with you. Yeah, you, you can criticise him maybe for the goal, but he looked like a player to me who, in the brief time we saw him on Saturday, had, had improved from last season. So I'm excited you know, to see his development this year. Absolutely. And I, I'm, I like the stats website. I don't take them as gospel, but I do like to have a glance and see and see what happens you know sometimes it's good to see if what you see marries up with you know the statistical information that comes across and, and whoscored.com are pretty much the only one that I saw who've updated the website since the end of last season for Huddersfield Town and they had Philip Billing as our best player with a 7.3 out of 10 and I thought it was really good and it's it's reaffirming to see that Billing looked like it I'm not one of those who thinks you know you've got to have 11 Marines you know running around the pitch you know have all got to be able to bench press you know 200 kilos but I thought Billing looked like he filled out a little bit and he looks like hopefully he can go on and realise a bit of bit of potential he's got a lot to build on he's got everything to be whatever he wants to be but if he can focus that and put a bit a bit of aggression in with all the quality he's got it can be some player, but I think that when you're talking about having Marines on the pitch, I think if you look at one tackle at nil-nil with Congolo on William, you won't see a better tackle than that this season. That it looked like it was through, didn't it? Incidentally, whoscored.com had uh, Schindler and Hadijan as our, our worst players, so you can take you can take these you know websites with a pinch of salt if you want. I think Schindler probably lost points on giving the pen away. So other than that, I thought we're decent. So, second half, another striker thrown on, Dupuatra and Mounier up front. Um, Danny? It's, it's not one I understand, to be honest, because I think if you put somebody like that on, uh, you're, you're only asking the same question of the defenders that are out there to deal with a big physical presence. So, if it's not worked with, with Mounier in the first half, then doubling up, it, it was never going to work. And I don't think it ever has worked for us. That I don't think the team have ever scored with those two on the field together. I could be wrong, but I'm just going by memory there. No, there's there's a game I remember last year when we were against ten men Bournemouth as well, and he brought Departure and Mooney in up front, I, I believe, and we just look so disjointed every time they they play together. I understand that you might want two big strikers and you want to put balls into the box, but for me, they both want to do the same thing. You know, they both want to go attack the first ball, and and for and there was a game last year where we played Brighton at home and they pushed Tomins a little bit more as a, almost an orthodox striker to play alongside Mounier and, and he got really close to Mounier and, and they both dovetailed really really well and the Poitra and Mounier aren't going to do that because they both instinctively attack the same ball and and with that in mind Neil do you reckon that maybe we could have brought another striker in the transfer window or do you think we've already got answers in the squad I think we've already got the bodies there now Um He's only, generally speaking, going to play one striker. And however excited some of us do get in the transfer windows, to have a third striker sat watching virtually every week, we've got to be a bit realistic, I think, as well. You know, we're not, we're not a club yet who can have three top strikers sat there earning, you know, 20, 30k a week, which they're going to want watching every week it's just it's, it's not realistic not for me no do you think maybe 
Costa, do you think maybe Kachunga could do that job up front coming off the bench? Potentially, I agree with Neil. I don't think we need a third striker. It wasn't. It was as much as a surprise for Pritchard coming off as as De Potter coming on. Really, I was hoping to see Sobi or you know Dicabi came on to 10, 15 minutes too late for me on Saturday. But yeah, it was a bit of an odd one. But I just got the feeling it didn't matter what was going to happen. I just thought they just go up again. I felt they were just cruising Chelsea that second half, the first 20, 25 minutes. It was almost like a game, a training session, Nuddershield, just chasing around. The game was just pit a pattern out. But you did look at the score, I think 2 0. You never know, do you? If you can bundle one in somehow and grandstand finish, the ground would have erupted. But it never happened. And obviously, we, we were chasing and then got caught out at the end. I say on that third goal, Danny. Do you kind of go, oh, Aramoy maybe should have got closer or Congolo got nutmegged, etc., etc.? Or do you just have to say, put your hands up and say, what a player had Eden Hazard? I'm probably going to get stick for this, but I just I just say what a player because we were saying, discussing it before and that's what I'm in the Premier League to, to see is players like Hazard. If we are going to get beat, I want to see players like that at their best. And mm. I'll be honest, I just thought he made, he made our players, he just looked like a, a man against boys there as he, he strode through. But... In, in 10 years' time, 15 years' time, I'll, I'll be saying, remember Hazard. remember seeing him play at town. When and, we're back at Yeovil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, I, I will remember that sort of thing because I still remember Paul Gascoigne taking us apart in a friendly for Middlesbrough. So I know when I see that sort of performance, and it's, it's not defeatist, it's just he was quality. So if I'm going to see a third goal, I'd rather it be like that. Yeah, I think if, if we're going to wax lyrical about Chelsea, one of the players that I just loved watching all afternoon. I don't think Flo Adigen and I did, but Willian, he was unbelievable. He was one of the best individual performances I've seen. I know Pedro kind of got the man of the match, but sensational. His touch, his space, he danced past Flo into danger territory, the box. Obviously, we kind of with the second goal, but I have to say that he what a player. No wonder Barcelona wanted him in the in the summer. He looked some player and. I think Chelsea's demise, you know, you're reading some of the media, I think we maybe we bought into that last week, giving ourselves maybe a bit of a false hope, but wow, we, we were just different gravy. Yeah, watching that on Saturday, you've got to sit back and admire William on that performance. Yeah, people say it's only against Huddersfield, but on that performance, he, Barcelona, Manu, rightly chasing him because he was absolutely top class. And then they thought they'd give us a break from him for 15, 20 minutes and <laughs> on they bring probably the best player from World Cup in summer. So, yeah, fantastic. It, it, do you know what? I, I agree with Danny. It's when, when you get promoted to the Premier League, it's very easy to say, oh, my God, we're coming up against so-and-so, so-and-so. We're going to get beat today. This is a problem. We're going to have to do something on so-and-so. But it is genuinely really good to see players like Edin Hazard. Next week, we've got Aguero, De Bruyne, and even Raheem Sterling. You know, we, we've, got, we've got a lot to look forward to. But at the same point, we probably don't want to go along the happy to be here mentality as well. And and something that you've picked up on this week, Cos, you had a a head to head, a nice conversation actually with uh, Nick Miller. Was he from the Guardian? I did the Guardian. It was it was interesting, really. It was kind of those were getting agitated, but his kind of point was that look, you know, Huddersfield they played the underdog tag in the promotion season. We played it last season, but it kind of wearing thin. And he was implying that the players are kind of maybe now believing it that they can't go out and you know, kind of beat some of the top opposition and really saying that 
you know, we should change our tune because it's very negative. What Shall I read out exactly what he'd, he'd yeah, put in The Guardian? So Nick Miller said, since he arrived at Huddersfield, David Wagner has pushed the idea of his team as little dogs. The unfancied upstart snapping at the big boys' heels. That was fine while gunning for their unlikely promotion and even more unlikely survival in the Premier League. But one wonders how much longer he can get away with it without creating a defeatist attitude. Wagner almost brushed off the 3-0 defeat against Chelsea on Saturday. There is no reason to have your head down or to overthink the result he told his players but is it a health is it healthy to perpetuate the idea that they essentially have no chance against teams such as Chelsea particularly a Chelsea team that is in flux getting used to a new manager and style sooner or later Huddersfield will have to start acting like they belong in the Premier League rather than plucky interlopers just grateful to be there yeah I tackled him on it he said when someone mentioned on Saturday that they've got Chelsea said then Arsenal but obviously means Man City first up then two of their last three fixtures are Liverpool and United he said, and I must admit, I, I didn't hear Wagner say it, whether he said it in the press or what have you. He said, we'll win the ones in the middle. He said, it seems a little defeatist for a team that bet United last season and fitted with this little old us stick. I get it, and it's worked so far, but the point is, it might not always work. And I'm kind of saying, I think he's kind of read it a bit wrong. He says, because I said, look, Fulham and Wolves have come and spent a lot of money, you know, and to me, we're still underdogs. He says, yeah, I'm sure it's part of it. And obviously the only thing that really matters is what's said in the dressing room. But publicly, at least, I wonder if the message is getting a bit old. Yeah, do you know, this is this is something that me and um, a mate of mine that I go with, we, we talk about quite a lot. I, and I remember the Neil Warnock promotion period of 94, 95, and everything was about creating a backs-to-the-wall mentality. You know, something that the players cling on to, you know, us against them, that sort of attitude, and, you know, to keep the whole team motivated. And I think there are elements where David Wagner is using that to, you know, take this Huddersfield Town team to another level because he's pretty much saying it and you go back to when he was you know at St George's Hall and it's like saying it doesn't matter how experienced you are it doesn't matter how come on Neil you can finish the quote for me but essentially (laughs) yeah so it doesn't matter how experienced you are it doesn't matter um, how big you are yeah yeah, exactly And, and I thought that was great and he seems to have gone away a little bit from that and obviously he's not gone full Chris Powell yet. You know, no one wants to go full Chris Powell. Never but, gone full Chris Powell. <laughs> but there are <laughs> there are little occasions where some town fans have noticed do get a little bit irked where they kind of say, well, at some point we do want to have a go. We do, but at the same point there's got to be a level of realism thrown in as well. Yep. When you look around at, you know, we played Chelsea on Saturday, their goalkeeper costs 70-odd million. <laughs> That's more than we've spent in this you know, window. Yeah. Manchester City this week who've probably cost best part of half a billion. You know, we, we've spent modest fees compared to those. And we're building from a base. Let's not forget that two years ago, this is a team that was tipped to go down from the Championship to League One. So to be where we are two years later, yeah, I get it. It's, it's got to progress and you've got to start looking forward and thinking, right, we are going to kick a few shins and get involved and we are going to, you know, stay and fight and be here. But that takes time, you know. So from from where we've come from to where we are now, go go back to Bristol City a couple of years ago, we got absolutely panned on a, what a, a night game. It was Friday night, we lost 4-0. That's for the Johnny Hogg injury. We never looked remotely like a promotion side in that game. And we got a few beatings that season. But Wagner's got this magic wand that he turns that from, you know, water into wine, if you like. Got us promoted. Brilliant job last season. And let's just 
this season again it's about stabilising Brighton are going to be doing the same their fans are doing exactly the same as our fans of the weekend on Twitter and they've lost against Watford who are one of the favourites to go down not Chelsea what I'd, what I'd say about that is that I think maybe what he says publicly is maybe what he says privately to the players because I, I don't see a 17.5 million Dutch international coming in to play the, the underdog in there or play the little you know to play for this little club who's got no chance of progressing I don't see that I think I think he's quite clever I think he's trying to set an expectation level not just amongst Huddersfield fans but amongst the press that World Cup winners don't sign for those kind of exactly exactly so I just think he's trying to set an expectation level for everybody that we may not achieve, you know, so, so for example, when I remember, oh, I'm going to jump a little bit, but I remember Lee Clark at one point and, you know, a couple of shudders from, from you guys there. But one thing that Lee Clark said to me, and I thought was actually a really good point, And there are not many of these admittedly, but one, one thing that Lee to Clark fair, said, got a lot of points, <laughs> a lot of draws. He did. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing that he said was about Huddersfield fans. And I think it, it goes across football fans in general is that he said, you need to stop getting so high when you win and you need to stop getting so low when we lose. And I think I and that stuck with me a little bit, and I thought that was a really good point. And maybe Wagner's setting that expectation level, um, but he's also setting the expectation level that if we don't beat Chelsea, if we do lose three 0 don't get so low. There are games that we can win, and I don't think he's doing the same behind closed doors than what he does publicly. I think going back to another bad game last season, you were sat just along along the road from me at Swansea away. And I mean, we'd missed a couple of chances in that before, just just capitulating. But coming out of that one, we, we'd played this this four two three one. But I remember people around me saying we need to go four four two. So you you can have a bad game against a, one of the poorer clubs, and and people still say more attacking, more attacking, which is easily said in theory. But if the opposition is stopping you from attacking, there's not a right lot you can do about that. I, th- I felt that was the same with, as I say, Chelsea last season. I don't think we set up to be so as defensive as we were but we were just pegged in by them I think that goes back to what we were saying about Diakabi and, and Benza as well there were certain players that we maybe had which which we got pressed back and we just couldn't break out you know the ball goes to Aaron Moyer there's two men on him he's pressed quickly he then maybe gives the ball to Johnny Hogg and Johnny Hogg then looks to play it wide and we've brought new players in so I am I am excited to see us play four. I did I do like the back three, but I am excited to see us play the four-two-three-one with the raw pace that we've got now. So I'm, I'm looking forward to us being flexible. See, if you look at the team that played on Saturday, there's actually only Hamer that's new in all that team. Yeah, Congolo's a new signing, but we had him after last season. So we've still got all the new lads to come in and add to. And generally speaking, he's added at the top end of the pitch. So I think... I think we'll see a similar kind of setup, similar kind of team on Sunday. And then I think the Cardiff game is where people can start really judging these players that he's bought and the approach that we're going to take. Because if, if we're being brutal, you've got to beat Cardiff. Won't be easy because we know Warnock and we know what they're, they're going to be coming thinking. This is one of the way games where they can get something. Mm. So, But for us, it's... I'm, I don't like I hate the phrase must win but I think it's one of those that must pe- people yeah must win people will a few will start to turn if we did lose Sunday and then we lost to Cardiff whereas I think if we beat Cardiff you know get Mbenzer on get Dear Carby starting have a right go at them show them some raw pace because let's be honest Cardiff they've got Lee Peltier at right back I mean come on 
we've, we've signed two lads here who you'd hope all day long and have him on toast. So I think Cardiff is sort of the real start to our season, but I don't think there's any way on earth that we should write the Man City game off as easy as a lot of people are doing, because you just never know. It's football, isn't it? I think Neil alluded to it earlier, but the Everton game as well, it will be a key one for me, because I think last season, that first half against Everton, they were there for the taking, and we, we just created nothing again. So I think, as you've said, with these new attacking players, if we can go to Everton and at least sort of open them up a bit and, and be more of an attacking threat than we were last season, that'll be a good benchmark as well. So, Cossie, Nick Miller, did he have a point? He did, but I think uneducated point, really. I can kind of get what Scott's saying, but I just think the moment you think you've cracked it, I remember chatting with again, name dropping Sutty again, but he says 17th. That's all you need to think about. Don't ever get ideas above his station. He's seen it with Hull. Saw it with Bradford back in the day. Honestly, the second season, and, and I think one of the reasons again we talked about it last week. Dean Hoyle went big with his kind of the season card envelopes that we got. Sean Jarvis with his Churchillian speech, and I, you know, they know that it's again this dangerous second season. We are the underdog. I, I think it's an easy stick to beat Wagner with, and, and I don't, I don't agree with him. While I can kind of see what he's saying, and, and to be fair, a few do share that view. And Chris Powell got lambasted with it. If you remember, for a maybe kind of a similar view, but no, I'm not with him on that. I, th- I think the biggest problem with Chris Powell was, and I don't want to go back to that too much, so everyone will be depressed completely. <laughs> His biggest problem was he shouted from the rooftops that we couldn't compete with these teams mm. that we clearly could. Mm. You know, there were so a lot of teams in there that were no better squad wise than us, but he, ah, well. Let, let's not uh, go too far on Chris Powell because it'll be an audio podcast we could be here all night can we so Chelsea out of the way um, uh, for me it's a game where the first half I think we've played pretty well first half I think there's a lot to there's a lot to be hopeful of and David Wagner alluded to the same thing as well there's a lot to be you know positive about you know we, we, we went hammering tongues with Chelsea okay we played a back five you know some people see that as negative I, I don't so much you know Pritchard's played the you know the pivot role he's knitted things together that's gone a little bit skew if second half but I think first half we played well and, and it's a game of what ifs you know I was saying earlier it, the Chelsea game last year on BT Sport at no point Danny you know saying, at no point did we look like we were going to do anything that game whereas this one we, we sat here talking we said could we have had a penalty would that have changed it Mounier's hit the post with a header which he probably would score nine times out of ten there were positive talking points for town that weren't against Chelsea Ab- absolutely so the, there's there's instances there where we've got close. We, okay, we've not done it, but we're close to, you know, we've been close to scoring and, and, and you know, it's, I hate using cliches, but goals change games, don't they? So it, it could easily have changed, you know, what happens to Chelsea's mindset that, like, uh, one thing Nick Miller did say, you know, Chelsea are in flux, you know, they're, they're changing around. If we score, what happens to them mentally? Um, you know, it's, it's easy to start playing once you're a couple of goals up, isn't it? But I thought the opposition, Matt, I had the misfortune of watching Southampton Burnley on a stream on, on Sunday and it were rubbish. And it made me think, great, you know, you sometimes forget, you know, there's, there's still a lot of, you know, teams that are similar to us down there. And I think, you know, all this, you know, Fulham wanted blast off on Saturday. They got, you know, turned over. Let's not kid ourselves. When the fixtures came out in June, we probably knew we were going to be starting the season on August the 25th. Again, like Neil says, I don't want to write Sunday off, but let's be honest. We, most of us thought probably zero points. Nothing's really changed. A few positive things the main weapons left on the bench. I, I, I walked away thinking not, you know, not too down really. And, and the gauge in the mood after the game, I didn't see much. 
I think everyone realistic. I didn't think it was a you know a knock to our confidence. It was just that always could happen and did. I think the only disappointing thing I had was that I thought three 0 flat at Chelsea. I thought we probably deserved to we deserved to lose, but perhaps lose a bit more. It needs deserved to be closer. Danny nailed it earlier on. Yeah. Last season, three one flattered us yeah. massively because that could have been six seven eight. This season, three 0 most certainly flattered Chelsea. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on to next week. Did you make any changes? I will go with Danny. It depends on fitness, obviously, but I mean, I'd, I'd certainly be, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a similar lineup. I'd, the goalkeeper situation, I, I don't know. It, as Cosy mentioned earlier, if, if, if David Wagner has a problem with Lussell's fitness, then it'll be Hamer again, but I don't, I don't worry about that. As, as Neil said as well, I don't think that would have made a difference to the scoreline, so... I would expect a similar lineup, similar tactics, and that wouldn't bother me. I'd be happy with that. Who are you looking forward to seeing next week? Aguero. <laughs> what about you, Cossie? Are you going next week? No, I'm watching it in a bar in Scarborough with, uh, I can't mention his name again, Richard Sutcliffe. It'll be interesting. He's on your both best what, mate, isn't he? Yeah, we're both there at the cricket, so it be interesting to get his take on it, obviously, from a, you know, I haven't got my emotional head on and it's from a kind of journalistic head on, but I have to say, I, <laughs> I know we were spot off the record here, but and we should be looking forward to it. But I, whoosh, I, I'm not looking forward to Sunday. I'm sorry. <laughs> any pre- any predictions? Go on, Danny. I was going to say I'm going to watch uh, Fleetwood versus Rochdale before that on the Saturday, so I'll at least have a reality yeah. check there. Is Kyle Dempsey still there? I think he is, isn't he? I think he is. Yeah. He can give us a match report for next week. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I'm I'm going with no expectations. I'm 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 going to go. I'm going to enjoy it. I'll try and enjoy it. It is one of those where if we get something amazing, if we don't, Cardiff. I don't think it'll make any difference, Matt, to the Cardiff game. And I've heard some people saying, you know, we don't want the conference, we don't want to get a real big batting. And I kind of get it. And goal difference didn't really matter last season. But I honestly don't think, and God, this has been so negative, but if we lost 5 or 6 nil, I think it'll have absolutely zero kind of point towards the Cardiff game. If you want me to curse this, I'm pretty sure that Manchester City haven't scored a home goal against us in the league since a certain game in 1987. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. if it's 10 again, it's Danny's fault. Yeah, that's before my uh, my supporting it's time. It's Kit's fault, apparently. <laughs> and, and, and funnily enough, we're wearing the, we've changed from red and black to yellow on, on Sunday as well. So. Might change again before we finish this podcast, though. <laughs> Possibly. So, same lineup, same tactics. What do you reckon, Neil? I can't see a lot changing. I think if the issues are there with Lossell that have come to light with the uh, I mentioned again Richard Sutcliffe interview, um, I think Emma will stay. I actually think it'd be harsh to drop him so soon. I think that I don't think doing his confidence any good whatsoever. So I, I can't see team being any different. To be fair, I think it'd be the same eleven. No, I'm, I'm going to drop in. You know, I said last week, and I? I dropped in that I used to be a, a goalkeeper, and there was one season particularly whereby we had two goalkeepers. I was going to say pretty good, but I'd be pushing it a little bit. So we had two goalkeepers, and and what the manager used to do is he used to want to rotate. Used to want to rotate us, so I would play two weeks, and he would play two weeks, and and you just don't build up any momentum, any match fitness. It, most of goalkeeping is uh, anticipation I, I, I find and if you don't play one week you play next week it completely ruins what's going on so I, I would I would say keep Ben Hamer in as well 
we've got the League Cup game coming up as well which if it does as he did last season and yeah, put Joe Coleman in there then I'm guessing that Losel will play in the uh, League Cup well that, that's one point isn't it it's like if Losel's not match fit and we don't have any you know we've got an under 19s team now not a, not a reserve or a B team it's like how is he going to get match fit and I think you've hit the nail on the head there Danny that you know he may play in the in the League Cup and, and we'll see how it goes but um, moving on from Man City because I'm sure we'll be able to talk about that in in greater depth next week. Um, there's something else went on 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 Saturday as well, just before game. So Dean Hoyle had his his Q and A. A couple of things have come out from Dean Hall's Q and A. We don't know the full details. So I'm just going from some of the transcript of what's what's happening. So none of us were actually at Canal Side unless Cossie snuck in through the back door. Yeah, we're there watching the under 18s up all and that's <laughs> God, it's unbelievable. When you go Canal Side, things seem to get developed. They've moved the pictures around, don't they? at the top but yeah there were a lot of anger uh, from one or two what, what Dean said so we'll go through some some of the things um, some of these don't have uh, context in them yet because they're just sort of sound bites from, from the Q&A one thing which is happening um, by all accounts town are going to take full operational control of the stadium which means KSTL will not be doing some of that um it was mentioned on there that town will be paying some of the, you know the giants rent to facilitate that I, be, I believe town pay around about 90% anyway um which is not from having a having a look around is not actually that different to some of the years so i did have a look on the the you know the, the stadium website and apparently in 95 96 town paid 88% of the rent so it's it, they have a formula don't they and it's based on i think how many people come through yeah so um as someone who's not renewed his, his giant season ticket this year, you know, probably contributing to Dean having to pay more. So from from the Examiner article that surfaced as well afterwards, I think the only sort of thing that kind of strikes me is that the naming rights are going to be uh, used by the football club. And for me, the only thing I can think of is maybe there's a new stadium sponsorship on, on the way that they're thinking about but advertising and um, food and drink is still still managed by KSDL and it seems a bit of a a bit of a mixed setup there so we don't know the full details yet on that one Cossie no a bit of a weird uh, you know kind of thing to, to come out with really but you know what Dean's like in his Q&A's very very candid very honest yeah, yeah very honest the, the thing that was more interesting which is probably going to come on to now is the uh, the training ground and you know what what's going to be happening there so you want to mention that? Yeah, I'm, I'm quite excited to see that because when Canal Side first went up and, and they put everything up, I remember being in a, a room with, I'm going to name The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Cosy, what, what's your favourite away day? Matt, it's got to be the city ground at Nottingham. Just old school stadium, you're right near the pitch, great atmosphere. But there's nothing like playing at home. Same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
from Drop as well now, Cassie. I remember being in a room with uh, Ross Wilson, and Ross Wilson came out with um, you know his his paper, and and one thing that Ross said was um, the FA have been into audit for E Triple P and. They've rated Huddersfield Town as the best Category Two facilities in the North of England, which includes other clubs. So, you know, Man City, Man United are all you know, Cat One, um, Liverpool, etc. But it, it went along the same brackets as uh, Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United, Leeds, um, and a, a couple of others. You know, Bradford are down in Category Three. But I thought it was really good that Town were held in quite high esteem. And and one thing which surprised me a little bit from hearing that was David Wagner's a little bit. Not critical, but he did say when he first came in at Canal Side. I think critical is probably fair. Maybe so, but I, th- I think he kind of came in and kind of pointed out a few things that he would like, and I think he's had a big say into what's happening at Canal Side. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it develops from one that was ranked as the best Category Two club for training facilities to what they've got on the agenda. I think I think an interesting point on this one for me is that Wagner came in sort of alluded to the fact that it was not particularly good, wanted it improving, it's been improved, it still needs improving. Is he still going to be here by the time the next lot of improvements are done? I think it's. I think it says two years for completion. It's due to start in twelve weeks, is what I read. And you know, he's he signed a three-year contract, so I'm going to hold him to that. And if he doesn't, I'm going to be clinging onto his legs to make sure he doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> so... Something else that came out, um, never in for Anthony Limbombe. It, it seemed to be, it's usually when you get a good feel for things, don't you? When the press, um, usually you get quite a good feel and you can usually tell where it's come from, how it's worded, whether something seems to have a bit of legs. So it was quite surprising to hear that because, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take Dean for his word, you know, but it, it did seem that at some point that that was, that was quite on the way. So it was interesting to see him say that. And I love it how we do throw, throw these curveballs in where Isaac and Memza walks through the door and nobody's heard of him, you know, until like an hour before where he's been linked and all of a sudden he's through the door. And I do quite like that about yeah, how we keep things quiet. Yeah, absolutely. And they're the exciting ones because it, it gives you less time to talk yourself out of why, you know, it's going to be a failure for this field time because we're obviously a negative mindset out within town fans. But it, it was a good one. And I was quite surprised to see that because there were quite a few reputable people online. No, I'm not talking about town fans. I'm talking about media sources, you know, uh, Belgian national newspapers, etc. It seemed like it was perhaps cut and dried at one point, but it's, it's interesting to see that. And football's always, always full of surprises. And as is another transfer, which I thought was a really nice touch, Neil, was uh, Nottingham Forest have come in. They couldn't afford the full transfer fee for Michael Hayfully. So what town have done, because Hef's a popular figure, we've taken a... Um, a less than our transfer fee which is less of, than what we wanted so initially so they can pay him more so we've, we've looked after him and I think that's I think it's classy from town yeah I think I think the fact that saying Forrest couldn't afford it might be a stretch and they just spent 25 Maybe. million quid this summer um, but from a town point of view it don't surprise you at all I think he's always looked after players that were moving on whether it be ones that we don't need anymore or ones that have outgrown us. Yeah, I think what I like is that there's a player that's come in and 
he's done a great job for us so we've looked after him and I think you don't find that in football and again it goes back to you know the Huddersfield Town football family and I think sometimes you know there's so many people online I'll try and pull the club down your club's rubbish blah 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 small time etc etc Mickey Mouse Tim Pop yada 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 and it's nonsense sometimes when things like this happen it just it's just reaffirms that Huddersfield Town is a good football club um, classic exactly I think one of the things with FLA that was more interesting was his comments after. I mean, I must admit, it does bore me, big club, little club. I know it's a lot of Leeds fans seized on it, but interesting. I mean, the interesting comments, obviously, are saying a very small club to a big club. Did did any of you guys really, did it get you mad? Because I know it caused a bit of outrage. No. Some people honest, were saying who it. Who cares? Yeah, some people were he's saying been, it's he's been brilliant his for us. Really he's got himself a great move bloody good luck to me when I was writing that article for him that we did on, on Thrice Champions the other week one thing that I noticed I watched the interview again from when he first joined and his English was probably a bit further behind than you know Schindler and everyone else and, and part of me wants to think that what he meant was it was a club that wasn't expected to do well. It was an underdog club rather than sort of saying this is a small club like Dog and Duck. I, I personally think it was it was more of a lack of vocabulary, to be honest. I'd agree with that. I didn't take it as, as insulting. But then again, I think we are a fairly small club and we're in the big time. And I'd, I'd happier being a, a small club in the big time than a big club in the small time. So mm-hmm. I don't take it as an insult. Perfect. Great way of looking there. Mm. So... Heffler moves on. Heffler moves on. And what we've also got is, as Dean also mentioned, that some might still believe in, which links us on nicely to a guy who on Instagram at the minute seems to be on holiday in Valencia. Mr. Kwana. Hmm. He's, he's another one. Without being too brutal, clearly not good enough for the Premier League. Bought with a championship in mind. Helped get us over the line. We'll never forget the stoppage time winner rebound against Preston from Moyes Miss Penn we'll never ever forget Hillsborough um, top assister in the Premier League for us last ridiculous. season ridiculous ridiculous I think sometimes you don't know if his legs are on the right way <laughs> I think if, if there's ever a player who we got the most out of his natural ability I think Colin Kwan is probably a man yeah, and I think that's credit to him as well there's a lot to love about Colin Kwan clearly not the most gifted but when you've got a certain amount of talent but you've got that desire it takes you a long way and it's like you say five, five assists in Premier League not to be sniffed at a 40% sell-on fee for Jordan Williams Cossie yeah I've known a few Barnsley fans at work have been coming up to me and asking you know what it's like but <coughs> obviously based on that uh, one game in the Carabao Cup last uh, August not a right lot to tell them really but yeah interesting one uh Fortunately, again, it is a, a young English player, you know, leaving Huddersfield Town. But at the end of the day, we are in the Premier League, and unfortunately, that you know, as much as we talk about these pathways, you know, back in the day, that he's a million miles from, uh, you know, getting in. But I don't, I don't think he excelled at Bury from all accounts. That was where it was, wasn't it, on loan? Lee Clark. Yeah. So, but yeah, I wish him well, and uh, yeah, hope he uh, gets Barnsley back in the Championship. Did and they made a good start. So. 40% to me seems that's that's a pretty good contingency in case he does do quite oh, well Dean Oyle is smart man well there's no doubt in that is there now you've got to throw in Olaf Rebbe as well and he's completely honest with everybody says it as it is Jordan Williams clearly not ready for Premier League yet Championship 
I think we'd all argue that, but we're only fans there on inside at clubs, so you take that as he's not ready for a championship yet either. <coughs> Excuse me, he's got a cracking move to a good club local who are renowned for bringing young players through. Look at Alfie Mawson, John Stones. So if Jordan Williams can go there and progress, good luck to him. Mm, I'd, I'd agree with that. It's, one thing is it. it it's, it seems to be another town player who's gone on to play for England and then kind of faded a little bit. And I think it's easy to kind of think that, but from watching Jordan Williams a little bit from myself, he's, he's a genuinely good player. And we did fight Liverpool off three years ago for him. And it's only his, uh, his, his lack of height, because initially Jordan was a centre-back uh, who moved to right-back because the, the, in the academy they do this test whereby it's a, it's a wristband test and they test to see how, how big you're going to grow. And Jordan came back at sort of 5, 10, 11. And... What's what's really interesting is Liverpool dropped their interest when they realised he wasn't going to be a six foot plus centre back, and and that enabled us to keep him. And maybe there's a slight disappointment that's another player like Danny Broadbent and Simon, you know, Eastwood. That's maybe just not quite gone on to realise. But I, th- I think there's a lot of hope for John Williams, Danny. I, th- I think you're right, but I'm, I'm also thinking of Jake Charles, who went to Barnsley after a promising uh, mm. spell with Huddersfield, and he, he sort of he was on the fringes of the first team. I think he made a substitute appearance as well, but. Came on against Fulham for us. Yeah, he? he had a, a sort of big write-up international experience and the history with the, uh, the Charles family. Went to Barnsley, and I, th- I think he's, he's gone. He's gone down since, but that's not not to write him off. But I think the last time I saw him was at Staley Bridge, but he, he may have may have gone on from there as well. But so yeah, so there is there. So I mean, it could go one I mean, way or the other. Yeah, I think Dwayne Home went to Barnsley on on trial. Didn't make it there, and he's shot back up after going to school. Yes, so. yeah, it's a great one to see, Cos, isn't it? We got Dwayne's made his way back up now. He's got a great move to Derby. Yeah, out of the blue, wasn't it? Uh, incredible move, really. So he must have excelled at Scunthorpe, and you know Frank Lampard. I mean, it must be a thrill to you know kind of be working. I'm probably a hero to Dwayne, wasn't it, Frank? Uh, Obviously, Derby were in a bit of a mess on Saturday. Maybe Dwayne will come straight in the team uh, tonight in the Carabao Cup. So, yeah, an interesting uh, move, real shot move. But I've got to be honest, not really kind of focused on his development. But I, I know he'd kind of done really well at Scunthorpe. And I know it's Matt Liss was first woman up with his... Uh, Congratulations tweets. I, I love that man still. Proper Huddersfield guy. Yeah, he, he still oh, looks father. out for them. He still looks out for them. He's, he's really good. He still follows them, looks out for them. I, I believe he's still, he's low. his phone's always open to any of the kids that he's coached. He's a, he's a, he's a top bloke. Top, top just a man. proper football man, is Lewis. Top man. Yes. The only other thing that came out of the Q&A was... Um, which I thought was quite interesting, actually, because there's a few people I saw on Twitter, and I, I can't remember who it was exactly, and they were, they were saying we've only spent... I think I think net spend sounded like a Newcastle fan, but I think we've only net spend or something along the lines of thirty nine million, um, which is less than last year. So Dean Hall made a really good point, which was that the wage bill increases year on year. You know, players have a, um, I think you know, I think in football manager here, Danny, whereby you know you get a ten percent increase per year of your contract, and he kind of alluded to something similar such as that, where the wages increase year on year, which means there's less budget then to buy players. I think for me that, that survival of the first season the most exciting thing as sad as it sounds was the, the chance to build the infrastructure at the club so that going forward if we, it, I mean I say if it's just when it's when we do go back down because we are going to do it at some point we're staying positive yeah well I'm not saying this season <laughs> although I have predicted it but on a, on a positive note if we'd have gone down last season we, we could have just been right back where we were if David Wagner leaves some of the we've bought the expensive players they're not going to stick around 
But if we, if we can now build as we are doing the, the infrastructure at Canal side, and, we, and when we do go back down, if we, if we do have that to attract better quality players to the club, that, that just puts us in a better standing long term. There's a club not far from where me and you grew up, Neil, who got to the Premier League. I know I can see you by your face. Who got to the Premier League, decided to give Benito Carboni 40 grand a week on a long contract and didn't, inv- didn't invest in an infrastructure. Now train at a local school whereby the kids get first dibs, I presume. They train, they don't have, they don't own the stadium. No. They don't own a training ground. No. Pretty much don't have a lot. And what Danny's made there is a really good point that even though it maybe it's under the name of Dean Hoyle, I don't think you're going to get a, a bigger fan. But the infrastructure of Huddersfield Town's never been better. Oh, it's, it's, you can't criticise. I wouldn't want to even start even thinking about criticising what that man's done for this football club is off the scale, if we're being totally honest. Yeah, he might have got things wrong. I think he'd be first to put his hand up and admit that he's got things wrong. I've, I've seen some ridiculous criticism. You've just got to skim over things like that because at the end of the day, without Dean Hoyle, Huddersfield Town is not where it is now. I've seen some things on there such as what Dean Hoyle's done is only the equivalent of me putting 20 quid of my wage a week into something and there, there's some quite <laughs> amusing <laughs> comments. If that's the case, I'd like to see what they did with that 20 quid. Uh, well, I don't think I would. Bloody good <laughs> 20 quid well spent that. Exactly. And I think most of us, if we had that much money, we'd be on a desert island somewhere, won't we? Giving, yeah. giving absolutely zero anything about anything to be fair and I remember that comment the opening line to that was I have no idea how much Dean Hoyle is worth but <laughs> so when you start it off like that pinch of salt yeah. should have yeah. just stopped it I have no idea I think <laughs> let's put it this way unlike a certain uh, sports uh, clothing firm on Saturday morning the, there won't be many people protesting outside card factory they on uh, on a Saturday afternoon do you reckon they'll uh, do you reckon they'll now start selling Lonsdale's at House of Fraser <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it just amazes me anyone wants to criticise Dean Al, but there we go. For me, I, it just completely goes over my head. You know, there are, there are th- it's probably certain, and what really sort of gets me is where people always go, yeah, I know Dean Hoyle's made mistakes. And it's like, well, stop me there. What, what mistakes are these? You know, we're in the Premier League with, with Huddersfield Town. It's Keith Longbottom couldn't do it. David Taylor couldn't do it. I think Terry mistakes Fisher. that he has made, he'll know. And along the way... It would probably happen more when he first took over. Um, I don't want to say that. I can pick any mistakes. I I would say, and this is one thing that we, when we mentioned the transfers and not hearing about Mabenza earlier, Mm. Ricky Lambert, that sort of thing was, uh, it just doesn't happen. He did. There's no anything now, which is great. Do you know what? Yeah, okay, Ricky Lambert. And I I was so excited when we were linked. It was so excited. But if there's no Ricky, if Ricky Lambert comes, there's no Jordan Rhodes. So it's not like. He sold Marcus Stewart yeah, and didn't replace him. I don't think it's so much the uh, the missing out on the sign. I think it was the going public uh, yeah. and saying, Let's talking about it. He did, yeah. If, if they're going to put naming rights on the stadium, it should just be called Dean Oil Stadium and have done with it. <laughs> I, I, I don't know Dean Oil at all or know anyone that knows him, but I can imagine that's probably the last thing he would do. Oh, that would be the last thing he'd <laughs> yeah. do. But I think the fact that we all say we don't know him personally, but yet we all feel like... You feel do. like you do, yeah. And I think that says a lot about the man. I think we haven't commented on the Chelsea game I know it mattered zero in the end but I can't remember a better tackle than Congolo in that first half it was absolutely sensational the crowd was standing up like a kind of boxer had knocked someone out in the last round it was incredible do you know what 
when he when he did walk into the ground on 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 Saturday, and you could hear the cowshed loyal behind you know, and, and as we walk into the ground about fifteen minutes before kickoff, and you can now I remember walking to used to uh, used to park and then you know and then walk to the ground and you couldn't tell there was a game on until you got to sort of B&Q car park and you saw a couple of bodies but now you're getting you know I'm parking you know you're walking along canal side and you can hear the crowd and as you get closer you know I'm in the you know the car park at the back and you can hear the cowshed loyal singing you know his magic you know you never get past Congo it's it's really good you know it's brilliant you know how far the clubs come and and the the atmosphere did take a little bit of I wouldn't say a panning but there were a couple of comments that you know the cow should loyal need to up a bit, and Ollie alluded a little bit to it on on the uh, post match interview he did as well. Cos he did, but in, he said exactly what I felt. You know, what, kind of watching a lot of Spanish football, but the difference between the English kind of ultras, shall we say, and you know the foreign uh, ultras is just simple. It's the you know two 0 at half time. It's not the stuffing out of us. The kind of the, the mentality in in Spain is we sing for ninety minutes and the result, whatever. Some of them don't even watch the game; they'd have the backs turned. And mm. yeah, we did get that, and it kind of got going again. But I have to say, that period between ooh, ten to three and like quarter past eight, well, it was wow, it was superb. The banners, the display, the noise, it it was back to what it would be. But that's going to be the interesting thing this year because again, it's going to take shall we say, kind of big balls, we're going to get some knocks and stuff. I mean, Cardiff, that's going to be interesting. What happens if Cardiff take the lead, you know, in the game on the 25th? Let's hope the door. I think I think the Cowshed Loyal will will always we, will always do that and back the, back the team. Um, but I think for the rest of us, th- there is that sort of element of we've been there and seen it now. I'm not, not saying it's right, but if you look at Stoke, the first couple of years that they were up, all the opposition players would Brilliant, say, wasn't it? and managers, yeah, what a great atmosphere Stoke was. And then... There's, you sort of get used to it, don't you? And then you up your ideas, and they're, they're sort of they were moving up and talking about top ten and the rest of it. We're not obviously anywhere near that, but we have had that year now in the in the Premier League, and it's only natural that some people in the other stands, other than the South Stand, will be a bit less vocal. I would think. And sorry, I think a good gauge of that uh, what Danny was saying that stand up if you love the town. It struggled to get going. I thought that you know the corner of the Kilner Bank kind of st- stood up. But really, others were forcing themselves up last year. Do you remember that Newcastle game? Mm. And yeah, I know it's natural, but I'd like still think in this second season, people are still up for it, still as as hungry. And the Cardiff game will be a really good gauge with that because you know, not not the sexiest opposition. And let, let's see what you know people are going to bring. I think what worries me about that the uh, Cardiff game is that when we've played the sort of Neil Warnock, Harry Redknapp, Paul Lambert managers before, we haven't done so well, have we? Always so. I don't think we should be assuming that we are going to do that well against Cardiff, but looking at the way they played at the weekend, they, they did give up possession, so hopefully that'll suit us if we do go for that. No, I was saying last week, I think Cardiff know exactly where they're at this year, and I think they'll scrap for absolutely everything, and I think it's going to be a really, really tough game. Did any other results kind of catch your eye, gents, at the weekend? Uh, I must admit, I, I thought Fulham would beat Palace, and that... that that, that sort of like kicked them a little bit, didn't it? Because I think they were ready for lift-off. For, for me, that was the one. It was Fulham losing at home after spending uh, 100-odd million. Quid. Do you think they've maybe done too much? <sighs> we started, I think he started seven and another four or five new ones on And some of them came in on deadline day as yeah, well. Yeah, which... Is that, that I mean, uh... the, the most interesting comment for me, and I, I like you, Kanovic, I think I mentioned this last week, mm. he's, he's, he's a good manager. Yeah, I like him. Did a great job at Watford. But he's... <sighs> I know they all do it, but he's trying to play it down, saying that they're happy with 17th. And I find that hard to stomach me when you've spent 100 million quid. 
I think the Brighton results stood out a bit for me as well because yeah. I'm sort of hoping that they're down with us whereas they're looking at their board and their fans some of them are sort of predicting top 10 possibility whereas I'm thinking I don't know their players that they've brought in other than I've, I've seen the records of the striker in the, uh, in the Dutch League, League but yeah. it's, it's an unknown and I'm hoping they're down scrapping with us so from that point of view for them to get off to a defeat there when they've got Man United and I hope they're all down scrapping and we're up yeah. in 10th but yeah well, it's funny <laughs> to say that I went in the canal side fan pack watching it and you know, top Newcastle were going forward, and I went, ooh, and someone said, what have you done that for? Says, we want them to lose. I thought, hang on a minute, first game. Are you... Well, I suppose it is like that, isn't it? The I people think, are, yeah, even yeah. at this stage, are like assessing it, they're going to be down with us, and even after game one. I think that's what but sets it, us apart, you know, like us and Cardiff apart. We know what mission, you know, our mission is from day one. We know that we need to pick points up, you know, and Neil, it's not daft to say that we need to get something against Cardiff. I think we know that. I think we we plot out over the season what we can and can't do. We've got to win that. Like I said earlier on, I don't want a must win. I hate the phrase. A six-pointer in August. But it is, you know, Cardiff at home, you've got a target that has a three points. I'm not saying it's a season-defining game if we don't win, but at the same time, the confidence that that would then give us going into Everton away, etc., I think, you know, it's kind of one of those you've got to target to win. I think it was asked on Twitter who the nine teams that we, we could beat to stay up would be. And, I mean, I've predicted relegation anyway, so I'm not sure we will get nine wins. But, yeah, Cardiff would be one of those that you'd have to pick at mm. home. I mean, along with Brighton at home, I mean, I think Brighton have been the easiest opponents we've had for the past two years. But not being complacent, but you've got to pick them as well. So I don't know who your other seven would be. I will we'll come on to the question time in a minute, but to, fa- to finish that point, Danny, that was the same game that stood out for me was Watford quite comfortable beating Brighton because I think a lot of people looked at Watford and on the way home because I, I put five live on, we'll, we'll skip over why, but I put five live on on the way home and a Watford fan rang up and he was like, it's really bad journalism and it sounded really familiar and there was a Football 365 um article came out which um, one of the which Elliot from the Talk of the Town Lads posted and it was about how everybody kind of plays the victim with the media and you read it and you think yeah we all do that and everybody thinks that TV hates them everybody thinks everybody's against them and it's it's quite an interesting article but moving on from that the guy that rang in was a Watford fan really well educated great great caller which which made it easier to listen to Robbie Savage because he shut up for two minutes and what he was saying was that people predicting Watford for relegation it was a bad prediction uh, he felt that people didn't understand what was going on at the club it was bad journalism and and he painted quite a rosy picture at Watford and I was of the opinion because they tailed away at the end of last year they chop and change managers they lost um, Richarlison who I thought was a good player for them but they managed to keep Dakare who I think is also a really 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 good player and I, th- I was hoping that they would come down and when they beat Brighton which looked quite convincingly I was like mm, maybe Maybe that's not going to be one. I think Watford will be the monster. I do. I, d- the I do. The nature of the teams that are actually in the Premier League. I do. I'll go back to what I said last week with most of it will be about how people, how clubs handle the crisis. When they hit a crisis, how are they going to handle it? And it'll be interesting to see what Watford do. So we'll move on to question time. So earlier we opened up to, um, to Twitter. Um, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for everybody who's who's followed and and all the positive comments that we've got from the podcast as well. And Neil, you were quite taken by some of the comments we got, and it was it's really good feedback, and we really do appreciate. De- definitely, uh, very appreciative. I think you when you put your sort of your neck on the block and start chatting about town, everyone's got an opinion, and you know basically all we've got here is our our opinion. It's not there to be. 
you know, no. agreed with, disagreed with you. It's just, you know, have your own. What I'll do is I'll direct some of the questions that have come through at you individually. And I think, Neil, I think the first one's probably aimed at you from Murfield Chris, who... <laughs> who seems to have taken five minutes off from scolding his daughter's uh, other half to uh, ask you a question, which I think is is an interesting one. It's, are you a light cotton trainer sock man or a long woolly knee sock guy? It's all down to the weather, Christopher. My mate Dan has, has gone a bit question crazy here. Um, thanks, Dan, for getting in touch. And You weren't prompted whatsoever <laughs> to do so. But Danny, you can take the... Oh, in fact, Cossie because you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, what Dan says is, what can we do to avoid becoming just another team that's hit a second season syndrome? It's very difficult. I think uh, I think the hunger for me is big. I mean, we've touched on it here and we did in the last podcast of, you know, how much do people, you know, still want it? And I'm kind of thinking the fan base and like Neil was a alluding to there you know worrying signs I think when we can't says the man who's not going to Man City but we can't seem to sell out for Manchester City doesn't look like it at this stage and you know the the, the hunger still there so to me everyone's still got to be on that level that we were on last season which is going to be I think easier said than done uh, we maybe have to come up with something a little bit different uh, I think what we saw on Saturday was kind of much of the same but you've got to take the opposition into account I think I'd You'd like to see a bit more, you know, positive selection, certainly against Cardiff. I think that will tell us a lot. You know, that's kind of the team sheet. You'll probably see Sobi, Dia Carby, you know, maybe Mbenza there. So it will be interesting. But I just think maybe a bit more positive, you know, do something different that the opposition managers aren't expecting. And yeah, I, I, I don't think there's any medicine or tablets you can take for this second season syndrome, you know. I just think we need a bit of luck that maybe we didn't get on Saturday when we mentioned some of those refereeing decisions. I don't, unless some of you guys can think of anything else, I, I, don't, I don't see you know, anything I can really pinpoint. Maybe no, I'll just keep doing what we did last season. I think you're right. And the noises have come from um, the board, Sean Jarvis, Dean Oil. have said the sort of similar things. You know, They've tried to rejuvenate, not rejuvenate, but just remind you know people to you know get behind the side like they did last season and to not let the standard slip. I think what's... Unfortunate for us, just the way the market's been this year. I mean, it doesn't guarantee anything as we proved last season, but Wolves, you know, anyone who watched their game on Saturday night knows it would be amazing if they're anywhere near the bottom three. Yeah, Fulham didn't start well, but, you know, they, they've thrown a lot of money at it. So normally you get three teams who you're kind of, you know, more advanced, advanced from and, and are kind of looking, yeah, us and Cardiff, yeah, you'd like to think maybe we're a bit ahead of them, but the other two, I think... Oosh, you know they've they've been Premier League clubs before and they know what it's about massive owners and yeah I, th- I think that makes our task a little harder you know than than a normal season really okay so Dan's next question I'm going to pose to you Danny it's probably a quite a harsh one I'm going to bundle two questions into one here um, what Dan says so that's Dan underscore DJ FND should we give up our Terrier identity for one more befitting of a Premier League team which again links to the article Cossie, that we discussed earlier. And also, do we have to do things the same way as every other lower Premier League team, Chinese betting sponsorship, etc.? Or is there a way to stay true to our roots and yet still compete? I think with the uh, the Chinese betting company, that's just that's just the way it is. I know that last season when we when we lost Pure from the arm, the uh, the sponsors, and this season 
people were saying, well, you need to stick with local local sponsors. But the uh, the chap in charge of that seemed okay with it because of the the money involved. Um, he was never going to be able to afford uh, to compete with with the, the betting companies to go on the uh, on the shirts on the shirts middle last season. So he went onto the arm, and this season we've got the Chinese betting on the arm as well. But what do you do? Do you it would not make sense to to sort of say, look, we're not going to get foreign investment and we're just going to stick with whoever the local company is for the sake of of, of, of just going local. But we we do still involve the local companies, as uh, as, we, as as Sean Jarvis has said, he's he's pushing that side of things. So they are they are still wanted by the club. But yeah, you, you you've got to go with 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 the foreign investment if it's going to bring in that much sponsorship. So it's it's down to money. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's not back in the days of, you know, having Central Murfield on his shirt, a local garage. He's, and we'll probably put in a few quid and sponsoring some kits and a tractor with a bag of balls. It's, you know, we're talking serious seven figures on sponsorship nowadays. I just think you can't, okay. it's not that easy to just sort of push away the, the foreign investment. Yeah, the. I think regarding the pure legal one, uh, Phil Hodgkinson, brilliant that he put his name on other shirts. But he's actually, you know, he's built a great business there, but he now also has a major stake in Southport FC. Yeah, good luck, so, Phil, as well, if you know, do listen to this. Yeah, if he, if he does have a listen, all the best there, and we'll try and get over for a game. Absolutely. Um, as, much as, as much as people don't like that it's become a money game, it is what it is, and you have to play the game to compete, don't you, Cossie? Yeah, the badge, obviously, we've touched on it before, that... I'm against but it is there's no doubt in my mind it's there to to make money rather than go back to the you know the thing that the club trotted out to go back to our tradition I just couldn't buy that all that that was the saddest thing for me really about you know the identities was kind of losing that that badge but I kind of get that a terrier dog you know and kind of China and what have you it's gonna you know generate more money for us so you're not always gonna agree with everything the club does so I'm happy you know, to to suck on it really, but it is it, unfortunately the, in the Premier League you've got to compete and you need as much money as you can, and it's not for me, but it's the way it is. Hundred percent. So Dan's next question, thanks again, Dan, for the million questions, is how should we approach top six games? And I suppose I better answer this one. Um, I think we've covered this a little bit earlier. I, I quite like the way we do approach it. I think the main thing that we've just got to do is you've got to stay compact. You can't concede early. You can't let them swarm and get on top of you. Yeah, it's negative. And the next question is along the lines of negative football. And yeah, it's negative, but it, it is what it is. If you go hammer and tongs against one of the top six sides like we do against Tottenham, then you're 3-0 down in 20 minutes. It's, you look, Matt, it's with the top six teams. We 100%. got to look against Chelsea away last season when, you know... We got it against Lenny. Yeah, yep. and, and we didn't get it on Saturday when, when Kante miss it into the Absolutely. ground. That's, what, that's a massive part of it, and people underestimate well, that. If you, if you look at the, the prime example is a team who absolutely battered everybody... Last season, Man City scored 100 goals, 100 points, all manner of records. Scored two against us in two games. Scored two against us, and one of those was a fluke, wasn't it? Was a fluke that just hit Sterling and looped in in a similar fashion to Alcantara's. Again, that look index that had his relegated, eh? (laughs) Ridiculous. I don't know, stuff like that's just points, isn't it? So, you know, over the course of those two games, Town put up a, a, an epic show at home to Man City mm. and when you're coming against a side like that and you're coming away gutted that you haven't got a point 
that's that's some move on from playing Swindon and Cheltenham and whoever else. And away from home, we've got a great point and on a team that in league that nailed them there last season. So and going on you know, to where it's due. going on to Ian Kilroy's question afterwards. Is it boring? Do you find it boring that we set up that way, or is it just if, is if what it, it is? If it's, or do the ends justify the means? I'll, I'll probably get shouted down on Twitter for this, but if it's boring that we've just seen William play top class for seventy-five minutes and we've seen a couple of World Cup winners and whatever else after two years of playing Bristol City away and getting beat 4-0 I'll, I'm sorry but I'll put my hand up and take boring the only little thing that I would maybe want to see different which we have addressed to be fair is that I, I just like us to have a bit more of an outlet on the break so that we can get out of our own half and I think we've we've gone out and I got those that's probably right if you look at the Man City game away last season yeah they won't league yeah we're a bit of a party but they still had more than enough that day to absolutely pummel us Mm. Yeah, in that game, playing the 5-3-2... We managed so, to break, didn't we? Two, we actually made three or four belting chances. I mean, Malone at the end, the clever free kick with Adagenai and Lerva. You're you not going to get much of the ball, Neil, you know. No, I, I mean, what Man United, actually, what did we have? Was it 19% position? Was it 29? It was, 20, so like it was ridiculous, but we won, and, and it felt like we you know, we yeah. created quite a few chances. That Unfortunately, against the top six teams, you're probably going to be looking to have 30% of the ball, 35 tops. And Between them, all the yeah. worth billions. And Neil, when we, we touched on that other game against Middlesbrough, you know, one of Wagner's early games, I think we have 80% possession of the ball, but ultimately we, we lost, lost the game. So, yeah. so I think a lot of that is, you know, kind of blown up. So, whereas I understand where killers coming from it just it is what it is if you go head to head you're out of the game in 15-20 minutes as we saw against Spurs and you've got to do what you've got to do to stay in the game and then look to nick it and when we look to nick it that's where we've got to utilise that that, that pace stand innovation after they beat us 4-0 I don't want to say that again this season I, I don't mean for the stand innovation I mean the fact that he had that All right, performance against us, I, I didn't get his innovation. I think I think we had sort of similar when we were in in League One, and we were expecting to batter teams. We'd seen see teams come here and time waste and kick the ball out and be, you know any tactic they could to get to get a point. When we were perceived as the big spenders, which we yeah, were point. comparatively, and and some of our fans were similar to the way that City fans were saying, "Well, these teams turning up and not not rolling over for us." It's just. That, that's the way that, that, that they coped. I mean, often they, 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 they did get something from us at that point, hence all the draws, but you can't really complain about that. It's your job to get on with it and beat them. Absolutely. So we'll move on. Um, Dan, again. So how, how does our forward line compare to others in our mini leagues at the bottom of the table and are we better than three other teams? I'll start with that. And I think our forward line, in terms of strikers, I... I like Steve Mooney and Lauren Dupuatcher quite a lot. The, the problem's obviously been getting chances for them. And we're yet to see how good Diakabi and Benzer, etc. are. But do you think it's quite comparable to it's who else new, is expected to be there? Because if you look at last season, we had worse goal difference, negative-wise. Mm-hmm. We scored... With a, did anybody score as few goals as on his start, maybe? We were certainly in bottom two or three for goals scored. Yet we finished fifth bottom. So whether it's comparable or not, you've also got to look at the other end of the pitch. And if you look at the other end of the pitch, as a back, the, the centre-halves we've got, Schindler, Congolo, Zanka, mm. the full-backs have got, you've got a World Cup winner, Derm, to come in. 
it's that end that I think that's a really good point as opposed to other end I think that's a really good point I think that back three is as strong as probably anything else in the bottom half for me I think one thing that you could turn on its head that I accused earlier of uh, the two strikers being similar is, is can be seen as a negative but on the other hand if one of them isn't performing or if one of them suspended or one of them is injured you don't have to change that game plan that we're all used to mm-hmm. because they are so similar and can do a, a, a good job I don't know how many other teams have got like-for-like like replacements such as we have there. So you can see it as a positive. I, I look at, at Brighton and I think Brighton's midfield... On paper, Brighton's midfield looks really, really good to me. You know, we saw that said that last week. Oh, David Proper, Pascal Gross. They've got some really good players there. But I think Glenn Murray still started again, didn't he? On Saturday and at 36, they've, they brought... I think they spent £14 million on Jürgen Lockadier. Um and they brought in the Spanish guy you know a little bit about Costa yeah, honestly boys that, for me it's all about the service I don't you know mm. you could have you know I don't know Ronaldo up there with Harry Kane but Huddersfield if you're going to get one cross two crosses in 90 minutes you're not going to do much I, I don't worry about the strikers obviously if they got injured but to me it's all about how we're going to supply them and on Saturday's evidence I still wasn't convinced but obviously like you was saying Sobe and you know and Ben Benz could be the men you know to, to fire the ammo in because we'll find out what we're... yeah we will so we'll move on from Dan so thank, thanks Dan for those questions um, Stuart Foster the Pep Guardiola of audio technicians not Chris Powell so Stu's done us a, a top job today so thanks Stu again for helping us out today um one to chew over and discuss um, we've kind of touched on it a little bit already uh, small club positive or negative are we one and it, the term is used as an insult is it really? it can be used either way and I've got to be honest I'm, I'm sort of meh about it it is what it is a lot of people are going to call us a small club a lot of people say we're sort of an average club nobody's ever going to call us a big club we know what we are we are what we are but currently we're one of the top 20 biggest clubs in country in my view because we're in Premier League I'd agree but I think the thing is as well if you are going to choose your club when you start supporting a team, not just because you've inherited it from your parents or whatever, you can choose a bigger club if you want. And we've all chosen Huddersfield Town on some level and it, it's never bothered me. In fact, it, I would actually see it as something that I'm quite proud of, that to follow a club the size of Huddersfield, given the success that they're having, like I said before. Fully agree. Yeah, small club, big time. So I'm, I'm just not bothered. <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I don't really care what anybody else thinks. Okay, end of the day, we're playing, yeah. we're, we're playing away at Champions on Sunday. If we'd have been around in 1920s, Neil, and if we're doing this podcast, you know what I mean? We, yeah, we're yeah, best around. Yeah, we're the biggest It is what it is. People have got the view, and generally speaking, the people who have got the view are people of other clubs. It's 10,000 capacity, what have you, you know. They're bigger than... And, and, not, and nobody ever mentions them anymore. No. So we'll, we'll call that a, an evening for this one. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and... We'll be back sometime soon. Is this the moment for Lee Fowler? It is. Take your place in Division 2, Huddersfield Town. He's missed. Steve Simonson clears the flame of the goal and collapses in a heap of tears. Pate's got a chance. Pate scores. Jack Pate scores. Smith scores for Field Town! 3-2 Town! Boris Jerry, Danny Ward saves! Danny Ward saves!
De Quattro's in, round De Gea, 2-0 Huddersfield Town. Christopher Schindler has a chance to write his name in Huddersfield Town legend. And he takes that chance! The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Lads, what's your favourite 90th minute goal? Got to be Heffley against Leeds. A shot from Moy and sliding in at the death, Michael Heffley. Great finish to the game. Shared with my family, only made better by ordering McDonald's via McDelivery afterwards. Three points, not nugget share box, spot on. Order McDelivery now by the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.